Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the City Point Redcliffe podcast. You're just about to hear a message from one of our incredible preaching team, and I know you're going to be encouraged and inspired by what you hear. If it does encourage you, why don't you share it with someone who you know might need to hear it as well? And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. And for now, sit back and enjoy. I hope you get blessed. Tonight, I want to ask you a question. My title of my message is a question, in fact, and it's this question. What is it that breaks our hearts? What is it that breaks our hearts? Eight weeks ago, it wasn't quite eight weeks ago. I think it was five weeks ago. Uh, If you remember five weeks ago, there was a football match. It was between the Redcliffe Dolphins and the Brisbane Broncos. Let me qualify this with saying I hate both of those teams equally. I'm a New South Wales supporter, but I know there are some Redcliffe supporters here in the room. Can I have an amen from somebody that has been supporting Redcliffe for a whole eight weeks? I think it was three weeks into the season. They're undefeated. They're doing so well. Everyone thinks they're going to be crap, and they're not and they're winning, and things are going great. And everyone's going, Wayne Bennett is the maestro of all maestros. He is amazing. He's made these guys that are supposed to be losers absolutely win. And now they're playing against the Broncos, which is the big brother. And everyone wants a little brother to beat the big brother, right? But what happens in that game? From a Redcliffe supporter in the room, what happened during that game? The Broncos won. And hearts were broken right across the peninsula. There was candlelight vigils, people were weeping in the streets, there was rioting in the, in the, in the foyer of City Point Redcliffe. As your hearts were broken, the, the Redcliffe Dolphins were, were beaten by the bigger brother. Listen, I wanted the Redcliffe Dolphins to win, I'll be honest, because I absolutely hate the Broncos with a passion. The only team that I hate more is the Auckland Warriors because I think it'll be the worst day in Australia when New Zealand wins the National Rugby League of Australia. Can I have an amen from an Australian that's really dreading that day? We know it's going to happen one day. But your hearts are broken. Listen, I'm used to this. I'm a New South Wales supporter and I also support Cronulla. So for my entire life, anyone that knows rugby league would know I have gone through a world of pain. I do recollect a number of years ago, Queensland winning eight years in a row. Some of those games they should never have won, but they come back from nowhere and they beat New South Wales again. I I remember a few years ago when New South Wales were on a roll of of winning series. I think at the time we're like, one in a row or something like that, you know. We're in a real role for New South Wales. We're winning one in a row and, and we shouldn't have lost, but then we lose again and my heart is broken. Again, I've been prepared by being a Cronulla fan. If you don't know football, I, I am 47 years of age. I went from, for the Sharks from as long as I can remember and, and it wasn't until 2016 that they finally won a grand final. For me, it was like... 40 years of going for these guys and they just lose and they lose and they lose. Listen, for us, we, we were in state of origin for, for uh, sorry, not state of origin, in Super League. 
and we had $50 trillion to spend on players and the Broncos still beat us. And I was sitting you know, in, in the stadium watching the Broncos beat us with all of that money. We had to just take so much peptides just to win a grand final. Incredible. Heartbroken in watching my teams continually lose. So I can commiserate with all of you Redcliffe fans that have lost some games just recently. These things can break our hearts. I think of the other things that can break my heart. Listen, I love spearfishing. I was spearfishing with a friend of mine just recently. And, uh, and my friend were diving actually just out off here at Morton Island. And, and I watched this massive Spanish mackerel, 30 kilos, swim underneath me. And I was about to dive on it, but I noticed my friend swimming behind it with his gun outstretched, ready to shoot this big Spanish mackerel that would have been his personal best. He was so excited. And I watched him pull the trigger and I watched a spear go completely past and he missed 100% a massive Spanish mackerel. He come to the surface, he was nearly crying. He's like, ah, that was massive. I took my son spearfishing with me one day and he was only young. He was like seven years of age and a massive uh, tusk fish, big blue fish swam in front of him and he, and he shot at it and he missed. And he come to the surface, he's like, Dad, my moment of glory, and I just blew it. Listen, I know what it's like to have broken heart from things like that. Those things are heartbreaking a little bit. But when we get to the reality of life, the reality of the big things, what is it that really, really breaks our heart? What is it that really, really moves us is probably my question. What is it that really touches the emotions in our life? And what really should they be? You know, I think of us as, as Christians. We, we should be shaped in the image of Christ. And probably the best way to know what is it that really should move us should be to, to look at the life of Jesus and see what it is that really moved him. You know, plenty of people have got opinions about what moves Jesus. Plenty of people have opinions about what it is that really would break Jesus' heart. Uh, I remember if we rewind... Uh, years ago in church, people genuinely believed that Jesus cared about what you wore to church. Uh, if anyone's like me and grew up in church or was in church many years ago, you would know coming to church was all about wearing a suit and tie because you must come to church with your Sunday best. You must come wearing a suit and tie to church. Funnily enough, I, I preached recently at City Point Brisbane. And when I preached at City Point Brisbane, I was reminiscing to the first time I preached there 25 years earlier as a youth pastor of City Point Brisbane. And I was reminiscing back to the fact that uh, the first time I preached there, I wore jeans up on the platform. Now that sounds totally normal right now, but listen, I finished Sunday night preaching in jeans, no tie, jeans. And I went and sat in my office Monday morning and within two minutes of sitting in my office Monday morning, one of the pastors, one of the older pastors come in and said, Listen, Tim, you got on the platform and you're wearing jeans. You can't wear jeans on the platform. You can't preach from the platform here wearing jeans. You need to wear suit pants and you need to wear a tie when you're preaching. I was like, oh, wow, okay, sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I apologize. Two minutes later, another pastor comes in. Tim, you wore jeans last night. Six pastors came into my office in one day to tell me how bad and evil I was for wearing a pair of jeans whilst I was preaching on Sunday night. Some people feel like God really cares about what we wear to church. I wore a tie to church on a Sunday morning for the first time in a long time a couple of weeks ago. You know what? I got more compliments 
about wearing a tie to church than the youth pastor did when 15 kids made a decision for Christ on Friday night. I got more, com more compliments for wearing a stupid tie to church. You know, some people feel like God really cares about that sort of stuff, cares about what we wear to church or, or, or what we're dressed in. Listen, I am glad that some of you are wearing some nice clothes to church. I'm really grateful. I see up the back someone wearing Crocs, like Jesus is moving in the house. Praise God. Some people are wearing some good stuff to church. Dusu wore Crocs recently, and I'm like, girl, it took you a while to catch up with your dad. You know, like I, I've been doing this for a long time. Praise Jesus that fashion is finally catching up with this generation. But you know what? God doesn't care about what goes on the outside. In fact, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is talking to a bunch of Pharisees and he makes this statement. He says, you whitewashed tombs. You care about what's going on the outside, but really what's going on the inside of the heart is what really, really matters. You're worrying about what you look like, but listen, what's happening in here? What's happening on the inside of our lives? Listen, God doesn't care about what we look like. Sometimes we do as humans. Sometimes we try and push that on God, but he doesn't. You know, if we go back, couple of hundred years ago to the Wesleyan revival, we'd see God move powerfully within England and the whole British Empire that, that saw revival sweep across the globe. In fact, Australia influenced powerfully by what had happened through the Wesleyan revival. But within 50 years of John Wesley, the, the, the founder of the Wesleyan revival, within 50 years of his life and him passing away, within 50 years, a young man by the name of William Booth brought a bunch of people to church. They were stinky, smelly, dirty. And they wouldn't let them come in the church, made them look in from an outside window. He got offended and upset and he founded the Salvation Army and saw hundreds of thousands of people won to Christ. Because people cared about what they looked like, how they were dressed. God doesn't care about those things. Jesus doesn't care what we look like on the outside. Some people feel like Jesus cares about what our buildings look like and a place. Listen, I was recently talking to somebody and, and they were offended that somebody would stand outside a church building and smoke a cigarette. This is their statement. That is the temple of God. That is the house of God. That is the house where God resides. How dare they smoke cigarettes outside the house of God? Because it's the house, you've got to say it like that, the house of God. How dare they do that outside the house of God? People think that this buildings, these are the things that matter. Praise God for air conditioning. Praise God for roofs that don't leak anymore here at Redcliffe. Can I have an amen from somebody that's grateful you're not getting wet when it's raining? Praise God for those things. But we have this opinion that God cares about these, these buildings, these things that, are, that, that house the presence of God. Listen, the presence of God isn't housed in the building, it's housed in the hearts and it's housed in lives. People looked to what Jesus did when it came to the temple and they said, listen, Jesus, the temple was so important to Jesus, so much so that when he walked in, he saw money changes, he saw people selling things and he got angry about the house of God and he turned over the tables, if you've read this in the Gospels, a number of Gospels record this. He turned over the tables and he drove out all those who were selling because the house of God is so important. Listen, if you read in those scriptures what actually happened, you'll see that there was more involved than that. In fact, in verse 17, he said, Scriptures declare that my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. 
He didn't say it would be a house that would house my God, my Father's presence. He said, no, it would be a house for all nations. His offence wasn't about the building. It was about the people that would walk into the building and what they would face when they walked into the building. If we go over and have a look at the story in Matthew, it says he drove them out and he said that same statement. And then everyone that was sick, everyone that was unwell came to him and he healed them. Listen, Jesus' issue wasn't with a building. Jesus' issue was there was a space that people could walk in because what moves God isn't people's clothes. What moves God isn't a building. What moves God is people. His issue was all of this mess and this ugliness wasn't making space for people. What moves Jesus? What moves Jesus? This is the question that we have to ask. What is it that moved Jesus? If we go into the Gospels, we see Jesus moved with compassion many, many times. If we go into Mark chapter 6, it says this, but many people recognized them and saw them leaving. This is Jesus and his disciples. And many people, uh, so people from many towns ran alongside the shore because they were in a boat and got there ahead of Jesus. And when Jesus saw the huge crowds, he stepped out from the boat, listen, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. You know, this is an incredible story. Jesus is there preaching, preaching, preaching. He gets a bit tired and he gets peopled out. And he needs some moments to re-energize and refuel. So he gets in a boat and says, boys, can you row me to the other side just so I can take a breather for a second? You know, I preached this morning at City Point West and then I had a leaders meeting that ran and then I, I come up here and sometimes I get a bit peopled out. I'm not an extrovert person. You see me on the platform like this. I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. You know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a shy guy and, and that's me naturally, but I get here and I'm serving God. Sometimes I need to take a breath and Jesus just needs to take a breath. So he's in a boat taking a breath and he's just... I need to put my feet up for a minute. I hope those people don't follow us. Oh, they're following us. But he steps out of the boat, and when he sees them again, he's moved with compassion. He's not in a wonderful building. People aren't wearing wonderful clothes, but he sees people. And the Bible says he's moved with compassion. He's moved by people. And listen, he makes a statement, because they are like sheep without a shepherd. He sees people that aren't being led, that aren't being directed in the things of God, that aren't being walked in the right areas of their life. I read that story and I reflect on this. What happens if Jesus just rose from Strati right now and pulls up on the Redcliffe Peninsula with his disciples and steps foot onto the Redcliffe Peninsula? Would he be moved? I think he'd look at the Redcliffe Peninsula and he'd say, there is sheep without a shepherd right now. There are people right now in a place of brokenness and despair. I'm sure he would look and go, here is a lost generation that is lost in their deception. They're lost in a place of confused morality. They don't know how to live. They don't know the difference between right and wrong with so many errors of their life. People with confused spirituality, they're looking for a way. They're trying to find an answer, but no answer can be found in their lost brokenness. Confused sexuality, not sure what's right, not sure how to live, not sure who they are because they have confused purpose. Jesus would step out of that boat and he would be moved. 
He would be moved with compassion because a generation that we live in today, right now, is living like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew chapter 8 says he walked through a town and there was a leprous man who cried out, heal me. The Bible says this, Jesus stopped. Listen, he didn't just stop and go, be healed. He stopped and he touched the man that should never, ever be touched. Touched him. It says he was moved with compassion. So he touched him and said, be healed, be whole. He was moved so far that he would touch an untouchable person. Someone that if you touched, you could take leprosy on your own body and be sick and unwell. But Jesus was so moved that he touched the untouchable. What, what moves Jesus? Can I get back on this platform? People move Jesus. Matthew chapter 14. He's preaching. He's getting tired. He says, I'm finished preaching. He says to his disciples, just dismiss the people. And he says, but you know what? He's moved with compassion. Before we do, let's feed them. You know, the miracle of feeding the 5,000 came because he was moved with compassion. If we go on a couple chapters later, 4,000 people. He's moved with compassion. He says, we've got to feed them again. It was compassion for people. If we go into Matthew 9, he sees again the scattered sheep and he's moved with compassion. We go into Luke chapter 7. There's a dead boy and they're taking him through town and everyone's mourning and they're sad and they're upset. And it says he was moved with compassion. So he says, stop the procession. Young man, get up, be healed. And he heals a dead boy. Not because he wanted to do something great. Not because he wanted to like YouTube it and get some followers and be the man. Not because he wanted to be a social influencer. Because he was moved with compassion for a family that was weeping for their dead son. Jesus was moved with compassion, not for fame. Most of these situations, when he healed people, he healed the leprous guys. He said, don't tell people. He heals these guys, don't tell people. He was not about fame, he was about people. Compassion, being brokenhearted for Jesus was all about people. What should break our heart? This generation. The people in our schools, the people in our universities, the people that live in our streets, the people down the road, the next door neighbor that partied all night and kept you awake and you're here at the 5 p.m. service because you couldn't wake up for the morning services, you were too tired, you wanted to strangle that neighbor, at least ring the cops. You want to do something and blame the neighbor on the other side because it's just so frustrating. And, and even tonight when you left, the neighbors have started partying again and you're upset at them and you're frustrated. Jesus was moved with compassion for that neighbor. Oh, but the work person that I work beside that drives me nuts all the time, that always dubs me into the boss and just gives me a hard time and, and just, just painful person. He was moved with compassion. The kid I go to school with that always picks on me. He was moved with compassion because they were sheep without a shepherd. How do we develop this? 
How do we build this in our life? This is the question. This is the big one. How do we build it on the inside of us? I think firstly, we just have to work and live in the wonder of who God is. Matthew chapter 8, verse 10 to 13. Beware that you do not look down on any of these little ones. They'll bring in the children to Jesus and they'll say, stop, no, don't, don't. But he says, let them come to me. Don't look down on these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, the angels are always in the presence of my father. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on a hill and go out in search of the one that is lost? If he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. You know, there's an incredible statement here. He's talking about the little ones and he says, the angels, their angels are in heaven in the presence of the Father. What, what does that, it's just like this strange verse in the middle of nowhere. Listen, there's a power in what he's saying here. The angels are in heaven. They look after those little ones, but they also see the Father's heart about those little ones. You know, in the book of Peter, it says that the angels stoop to understand the power of the sprinkling of the blood of the Lamb that was poured out for you and I. That stoop is to bend down and to look at it and to try and grasp the gravity of who God is. Listen, I want you to capture this for a second. The God that we serve is a God the Bible tells us who spoke, light existed. Who spoke, universe expanded. Who spoke, planets came into existence. Who spoke, plants came into existence. Who spoke, animals came into existence. Who spoke, you came into existence. This is a huge, incredibly powerful God. A wonderful, incredible God. That when we're trying to grasp the magnitude of that, our brains get sore because He's so vast, so wonderful, so big, so powerful. But also, left the 99 when the one was missing and came down after the one. Every time I think of that, I was a one once and He came after me every time I think of it. I've been walking with Christ for nearly 30 years and it still gets me. That when I was the one, he left the 99 and he came down and he just engaged with me and took me back to himself. This is the God that speaks. This is the God that creates. This is the God of all power, stoops down to humanity and meets me when I was a messed up, broken, ugly, sinful one. This is the magnitude of our God. How do we develop that heart for people we just look at the magnitude of who our God is and who he is to me I was a messed up lost broken one I look across this room and there's a bunch of us that were like me you were lost and you were broken you're in despair you were hurt and you needed Christ you needed a savior and this massively vast God left the 99 and he came to the one Listen, many of us in this room are the 99. We've been walking with Jesus for a long period of time and he's still coming to the ones. Right across the peninsula right now. Listen, you may be sitting in this room. You feel like a one. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know Christ. I'm not walking with him. I'm telling you tonight he wants to meet with you because he stooped down. This great, vast, beautiful, powerful creator is in love with you. 
The angels stoop to understand the gravity of that. This vast, powerful God that they see sitting on the throne of heaven, the throne of the universe, still looking down in love with ones. How do we develop a heart for others? We see a God that loves the one and I was the one. I was one. I was lost. You were lost. You may be still lost. He's in love with you. He's calling you to himself. We're going to see the greatness and the hugeness of our God. And how that huge, great God loves humanity. And his son was moved every time he looked at broken people. He was moved every time he saw lost people. He was moved when he saw the little ones. From there, we're going to stretch our eyes, secondly, to the hugeness of what eternity is. The hugeness of what that looks like. We see this vast, powerful God with a concept of eternity that is so big. Listen, people today that are living without Christ, many of them are living hell-filled lives. Listen, we're driving up and we're talking about friends that caught up in mess and brokenness and broken relationships, hell around their life. But listen, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, 100 years of hell is nothing on eternity without Christ. We're to see the bigness of this vast God who comes down for the one. But we're also going to see the bigness of where God wants to bring us into relationship for eternity. It's big. It's huge. That should drive our heart to a place of realisation that our God who loves the one wants us to love those as well. And not just for a little bit of, you can have a good life on earth, but for eternity with Christ. Eternity with Christ, the vastness of what that is, the vastness for our loved ones, the vastness for that neighbour that was partying all last night. The vastness of that workmate that I'm struggling with right now. The vastness of what it looks like because God loves all of them and there's ones and He's engaging the one. He's reaching them and He's left us to just reach them. That's His heart because He wants eternity with them. There was a preacher many years ago, a couple of hundred years ago and he, he, he did a, a conference and a conference where he gathered preachers from right across. And he invited one of the prominent atheists of the time to come and speak at this conference. And he invited the guy and his idea was, I'm going to debate with this guy and have debate. They debated over a day and, and they were talking through a range of different issues. He was talking about his faith in Christ and the atheist was talking his stuff to all of these preachers. At the end of this atheist speaking, he threw a challenge out to all of the pastors that challenged this man, D.L. Moody, for the rest of his ministry life. He made this statement. He said, if I believed what you believe, that there is an impending doom, 
for all eternity for people that don't know this Christ. He said, if I believed what you believed, I would crawl on hands and knees over broken glass from one end of London to the other, screaming out that news that Jesus was the answer for that. He said, if I believed what you believe. He's an atheist that grasps the magnitude and the vastness of an eternity without Christ. How do we develop this compassion and love and brokenhearted for our community? We see the bigness of our loving God who created, but yet who is desperately in love with His creation. And I'm included in that and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for 30 years of walking with Christ. I'm grateful that He loved me enough to engage me. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that He brings me to eternity with Him. With Him. What is it that breaks our heart? People. We take the heart of Jesus, it's going to be people. If I could just bring up that photo, can we just bring that up as musicians come? If I look at that photo, it makes me cry like I cannot tell you. That photo was taken last year and it is my photo of the year. In that photo is one of our leaders, John, in the waters of baptism. We do baptisms in the middle of the service. We bring our baptism tank in church, we do praise, and then middle of that, before worship, we do baptisms. In that tank is, is our leader, one of our leaders, John, one of our key leaders, runs our host team. But also in that tank is my daughter, Dusu, and her... <laughs> Even just the thought of this, her mother is in that tank. Listen, her mum, I met her when I met Dusu. I met Dusu when she was 14, just a young teenage girl. Never had a dad. Came to our youth ministry, found Christ. Amazing woman of God. But her mum had grown up in a Muslim environment, a Muslim family. Grown up, and honestly, I know mum's story, it's hectic, it's painful, it's ugly. I met her when I first met her, she couldn't speak English real well. And came along to church a few years ago. But listen, her coming to church was powerful because Dusa and I, I don't know how many times, prayed for her mum to find Christ, to find Jesus. I remember praying in a, a whole bunch of prayer meetings, standing and holding Dusa's hand and we agree for a family, for a mom, to walk in relationship with Jesus. Can I tell you, this day I'll stand on the platform, I was supposed to lead the, the baptisms. Deuce's mom stepped in the water as a baptism, I was supposed to talk. See the look on Deuce's face there? That's a look of embarrassment. <laughs> She's like, Pa, what are you doing? Because I was on the, like I was weeping. And weeping. I was supposed to talk. I couldn't even talk. I'm a dunker in the water, for goodness sakes. Because I prayed. We prayed. Prayed. For a Muslim woman to step into the waters of baptism. Such a profound thing. Now, listen. Deuce's mum's not perfect. It's been a journey all the way through. I'm, I remember one day, Deuce's mum rings me. Your daughter's been so naughty. You need to come take her right now. 
talking through those things. But listen, these last couple of years, it's changing, transforming. Again, she's not perfect. Still on this journey. This is a journey. This is a journey. A journey that we all need to be on. A journey of loving people. Of loving people. Loving broken people. Loving our neighbours. Loving our friends. Loving those terrible people in our work environment. Because Jesus stepped off the boat today. Stepped onto the peninsula. He'd be moved with compassion. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. Go ahead and share it with a friend. And can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well. Most importantly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. And you can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.